welcome to Raw Book Pop. I'm your host, Sarah, and this month is Pride Month. In the first of a series on found family and queer romance, I have with me author Nathan Burgoyne. Welcome, Nathan. Hello. Thank you for having me. Did I actually say your last name right? You did, yes. That's perfect. Rhymes with sirloin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you write queer romance and queer speculative fiction. Yes, yes. I sort of dance around. And actually, I've done a YA now, too. So I guess. Yes, I guess, have uh, yeah. planned for Teenage Freaks. Yes, yes. That was uh, that was my last novel. Um, but right now I'm playing around a lot in novellas, which lends itself so much nicer to, to romance. Yes. I think my favorite of your books is probably all of the ones set in... Is it Ottawa or Toronto? They are Ottawa, yeah, the village. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I know it's, I know it's Canada. What city is it? It's okay. It's Ottawa. Um, yeah. I really love all of your village stories because they just lend itself so well to that found family aspect, especially the ones in Of Echoes Born. Those are really oh, yeah. gorgeous. That that was my um that was my baby that I put together knowing. You know, I think a lot of authors do this. They write the book that they they want to write, knowing full well it is not going to be a commercial success. It's it's just, it's just I've got to write this book. Um, of Echoes Born was my book like that. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's such a beautiful book. Like each story, like each, each story left you wanting more, but also each story on its own was incredibly powerful and just has this vibe of. It just feels nice. Like, even the ones that are really sad. <laughs> that was my goal. That really was my goal. So thank you. It's music to my ears. <laughs> and then also in that series, you have the date. Oh, God. Save the date? Saving the date, yes. Yeah, so that was actually um, co-written and also a part of another series as well. So I kind of snuck the village in there. But uh, yes, that, that's part of the One Night Stand series from Decadent. And, and that was actually a lot of fun to do because I don't tend to stray into the heavier erotica side of romance. Um, and that series is very much an erotica series. So it was, it was a lot more fun um, to, to sort of play in that pond a little bit. And, and luckily I had Angela with me as well. And she her, her books always steam so that that was helpful. Yeah, that one I really like because you don't get i mean you see a lot of stuff with stories with post hate crime that mm. sort of thing like especially in um the show queer as folk you see the aftermath of justin yes um, but you don't get to see not necessarily a positive light but like reclaiming what happened to you yeah so i mean i don't think this is a secret this one was very much drawn from from personal experience and i get I get very frustrated with how hate crimes are handled in a lot of fiction because so often they jump right into hurt comfort. And I'm not so sure that I, I mean, I, I don't, I haven't met anyone who immediately sort of wanted that level of intimacy post an attack. Um, so I wanted to to do something very different with that. And, and part of the, the very um, sort of conscious choice was moving it to be taking place three years later. He has had three years of therapy. Um, and, and I really wanted to, to focus on that and, and make it clear that this isn't someone who's having a, a guy who he's just not sweeping and pick up the pieces. No, this is a person who's done all the work and, and is, is picking up his own pieces. Um, and now he's ready for something. Yeah. And that's incredibly important for the community to see that we can do the hard work of therapy and overcoming things. And then we can also go get the dude. 
Yes. <laughs> or our NB friend or however. Yes. yes. Whoever our choices. <laughs> choice Absolutely. Multiple choices. And then also in that series, their most recent one is Fo Ho Ho. Yes. Oh, that was just a delight to write. <laughs> it was so much fun. And I was I read it right when I needed to read it. Um in the holidays when my dog unfortunately died. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, we went through that last year. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. Um and then Fo Ho Ho, it's connected to the village, but also oh god, now I can't remember their names. Um <laughs> Um, so Silas and Dino for that one, I think. Yes. Oh, I'm I am forgetting the other most important one. Oh, handmade holidays. You handmade mean? holidays. <laughs> I was yeah. like, this is connected to something else. What is it connected yeah, to? Yeah, so yeah. Um, which is your um, it's another novella that came out with Nine Star, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's that one was 100% my attempt to write a found family Christmas holiday story because I wasn't I wasn't bumping into them. And I was, I mean, you know what it's like if you watch the Hallmark movies or if you read a lot of holiday set romance, it's, boy, is there that message of family is everything sort of hammered home over and over and over again. Um, you gotta so I, go back home to family. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Great or terrible, but you're taking your significant other <laughs> yep. and they're going to be the buffer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Heavy Holidays was by no, that isn't the reality for a lot of us. And I'm going to write a story. And again, actually, that one drew on a lot of personal experience as well, where it was, you know, what do you do when you've been disinvited from from the holidays? Um, and, and our answer, or my group of friends' answer was, was um, we, we originally called it Christmas for Losers, um, but the uh, <laughs> we decided that was perhaps a bit negative. Um, and uh, so it ended up becoming Christmas for the Misfit Toys. Um, and it just grew into this big thing every year where we'd get together um, and sort of look after each other. And it was, you know, there was Thanksgiving for the Misfit Toys and so on as well. But uh, for, for the handmade holidays, I, I kept it to Christmas. And there's they each have their own ornament that they add to the tree, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Yeah. Or there's a single ornament. Yeah. So that's actually a personal tradition I've had. Um, and again, so much of this is you know, like it's, it's borderline biographical so this story, but um so I, I literally did the thing that nick does at the beginning of the story where i i got a tree on final sale day at the mall i brought it home it didn't have the instructions but i managed to put it together and then realized i didn't have ornaments um and in my case it was a friend who um uh, did a little cross stitch ornament for me um and we filled it up with candy canes but in the story, I have, because um, I came up with an idea to sort of bookend the beginning and end of the story with something, I have his friend do something else. But yeah, so I started, it was sort of an accident at the beginning, like someone made me that first um, ornament. And then the next year, um, someone I worked with was making them and selling them for charity. So so I bought one of those. And I think it was the third or fourth year that I realized I had picked up one ornament every year. And so I just started doing it on purpose. Um, and now when we put up the tree, there's actually too many ornaments. And it's this wonderful moment of realizing, like, I've had more Christmases with, with this loving group of people around me than I had before. It sounds, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> it's so affirming. Like, decorating the tree is my absolute favorite part of Christmas. Yeah. Like, for me, because my family was, like, default Christmas. Mm. So... As I developed, like, pagan traditions, my dad's like, let's put up the tree. And I'm like, okay, can we put up the Yule log? And he's like, sure. And at this point, we've reached the, because we have a Christmas tree patch behind our house. 
Um, We've reached the, we really don't want to cut down a 20 foot tree. Let's just go get a fake one. (laughs) (laughs) This is so much easier. But if I remember correctly, Silas has a crush on Haruto. He does at the beginning, yeah. Um, so I, one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to touch on a group of friends. Um, so when I wrote Handmade Holidays, I thought I was doing a standalone. And I, I keep I keep making this mistake um, where I'll write something and then a secondary character. I'm like, hmm. But I mean, what that's I did... what romance essentially is, is you yeah. <laughs> all of the secondary characters so that people are like, hmm, what are we going to get their story? Yeah, and in this case, he, actually, Silas wasn't in the first book, but... I I did have a moment where Haruto was moving back and he needed a place to live and it occurred to me that um, giving him a roommate for that for those couple of years before he ended up um, uh, with the with the ending uh, that gave me an in to introduce a wider circle of Haruto's friends because um, Rue is the love interest in Handmade Holiday so and it's not from his point of view so you only get to see him through Nick's eyes so yeah I. It was a little fun to sort of revisit Rue and show Rue, Rue the friend um, and have their little group of friends who meet up for coffee once a week or twice a week and, and chat things out. And and of course, now I've got ideas for the other two as well. But <laughs> <laughs> now are the, the other two also going to be holiday books as well? Yeah, so one is actually almost written. Um, it's and it was. I wanted to release it for April Fool's Day. It's called The Village Fool, um, and that's actually Toma. And so Toma's the guy that worked, one of the men that works at the gym. Sorry, it's um, uh, what is his name? That's terrible. Rue, Silas, Felix, and Owen. There we go, Owen. So Owen is the one. Um, it's just mentioned in passing in Fohoho that Owen had to do a bunch of physiotherapy. Um, at one point after an accident. Um, and so it's the story of him and his physiotherapist. Um, but what happens is Felix, who's mentioned in Fohoho and who does um, has impulse control issues, um, he takes Owen's phone at the beginning of April Fool's Day and surreptitiously changes all of Owen's contacts. Uh, and then or a bunch of Owen's contacts and then asks him to text him later and so unfortunately then Owen goes to the gym where he ogles the trainer that he's had a giant crush on for months um, and then texts um, who he thinks he's texting Felix about the trainer but he's been texting the trainer all day (laughs) so he basically announces his crush not realizing he's done it he even sets up a date Um, he thinks he's just going to meet up with with Felix later at the coffee shop. Um, and that's the whole disaster of, of, of that particular story. Um, it's referenced in Foho because I was writing them at the same time. But then, funnily enough, I, I hurt my arm um, and now I have to do physiotherapy. <laughs> so, that's not so much fun, real life. Well, yeah. <laughs> so it got delayed, unfortunately, because I can't, I can't quite type right now. I'm getting there, but I, I can't do it yet. Well, hopefully you'll be able to type again soon. That's not so much fun when you can't. <laughs> No, it's not. And um, I, I mean, I can't go to physiotherapy right now either with, with the pandemic. So no, yeah, yeah. I'm reliant on these weird video sessions with my physiotherapist and we're, we're doing what we can with exercises. But ideally, I'd be getting um, it's called dry needling. It's a really creepy technique where they basically stab your tendons with um, acupuncture needles and it makes them like twitch and let go. It's the strangest sensation. Um, it's really cool. That sounds though. really weird, but also really cool. Yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't really hurt. Um, but that's what they were doing before the pandemic hit, and now I can't, I can't keep going forward with the treatment yet. But we'll get there. <laughs> I remember when I was in high school, I was supposed to be interning with an occupational therapist and a, a PT as well, and instead they were like, "Here, go cut these physical therapy bands for an hour." 
Oh, like, ouch. Okay. <laughs> so I had to like cut and fold all these rubber, all these bands. And I was like, this is fun. So much fun. Yay, prep work. Yeah. <laughs> so this month's theme is found family. Because that's a, an important element, for, at least in my opinion, to the idea of pride, of being yeah. queer, of being able to find when other people don't want you, you can find your own people and form your own community. One of the books you I had seen you talking about a lot on Twitter was Sinark the Dapper. Oh, yes, Sinark the Dapper. I love this book so much. And it's it's... It's an anthropomorphized capybara pirate. <laughs> I don't I just I don't even know how to say that without laughing after, but it is so good. Yes, I I adore it. So it's a, it's a linked uh, collection of short fiction um and well we all know how I feel about that. I love short fiction. And yeah, it it it, it I found it because I had read another anthology called uh, Scourge of the Seas of Time and Space um edited by Catherine Lundoff. Um and then it's it there was a story with Sinrak, this capybara pirate, um, was the final story in the collection, and it left it on such this upbeat, um, hyper positive note that I'm like, oh my god, I hope there are more stories about this. I, I'm literally energized at the end of this book. And then the publisher saw my review and reached out to me and said, well, would you like an arc of the collection of those stories? And I was like, ah! <laughs> so it was just, it was the best timing ever. Yeah, no, it. It, it was exactly what I needed at the time, and I still I've reread it twice now. I, I'm not a big rereader, just because I have so many books on my pile. But it is like a warm hug. These stories, and I just yeah, and it's all about found family. Like, and it's you know it's it's even cuter because there's like the little chin, trans chinchilla cabin boy who, and one story they trans find this chinchilla cabin boy. Yeah, like, like he's this little chinchilla boy, and he's he wants his beard, and like, they find that. They actual chinchillas yeah so he's a chinchilla he's a trans boy chinchilla um so and actual animals and not like anthropomorphized humans oh no they're, they're like anthropomorphized animals um but they're still like they are their animal selves they just have manual dexterity so like okay, so they just have happen to have thumbs okay yes yeah so this little chinchilla boy he really wants his beard and there's this sort of magical thing that can happen um with this this material and i don't want to read the story but anyway th there's an opportunity to go get it so the the whole ship is like yeah we're gonna go get that for you and it was just this, this brilliant moment of this cute little furry chinchilla who just really wants the beard <laughs> it was just oh, it's so i love it i just i, I don't know how I to say this. it so yeah so one of the things I've been doing during the pandemic is ordering books from bookstores <laughs> because bookstores need support. Um, and I ended up ordering the paperback of this unread because I was like, well, Nathan really likes it. And there's a capybara on the cover and it's pirates. So clearly I can't go wrong. So I have the paperback sitting here and I'm definitely going to be reading that after this. But I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, no, I love it. Like there's, there's, and like the, the love stories are as much about um, friendship as they are romance. Um, there's, there's like polyamorousness. There's, oh my God, no, it's just, I, it, it is, it is one of the most queer collections I've ever read in my life um, in all the best ways. Yeah. That's, it just sounds marvelous. And the thing with like short fiction is like, I didn't used to enjoy it. But then I read Of Echoes Born and was like, oh my god, this. And then I read Anna Mardal's um, No Man of Woman Born. And oh my god, like, I'm reading oh that god. right now. It is so good. <laughs> it's so good. 
that one uh are you listening to it on audio or in uh... no i have i have the ebook i've had it forever so i'm doing a project right now where i'm reading uh, doing a little micro review of a short story every day for a year um and i'm i'm ahead so i'm reading for pride right now so i'm reading those right now and i'm loving them yeah they're absolutely marvelous. The audiobook especially is really good for those. Oh, I'll have to check that out then. Because um, like, before yeah. each story, I'll give the content warnings and then also explain if there's like a neo-pronoun that's used. It'll explain the pronunciation of the pronoun. And I'm like, this is great. Because sometimes I'm just like, wait, is the X and the Z one the same pronunciation? Right, what? yeah. Um, But like, I think short fiction, and I know the queer sci-fi Facebook group, they do a lot of short fiction anthologies. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an incredible way for writers who are just getting their toes in the water to write stuff. Yes. Like, I know Leafy Press does their annual Transcendence anthology that um, uh, Boji Takas puts out every year. Yep, and and I think has swept the levies every single time, (laughs) which is great. I think I think they've won a lambda every year. I'm fairly yeah. certain. Um, but I just I think that I wish I mean romance does anthologies, but they're not short fiction always. They're like I know the rogue anthologies were like these giant moth like these giant beasts of the books where like yeah. the story was like forty thousand words and like sometimes you just want that snippet. And like, I know romance it can be very hard to get like a fifteen K short story. Yeah. <laughs> It is frustrating to me, especially as, as a short fiction author, because I that was how I did get into the, the writing business at all was through short fiction. Um, so and it is my comfort zone. So every time like I and I love I will give romance so much credit because they they romance novellas are, are a thing and, and people are just perfectly willing um, to dive into a novella length work. And I love that. But I do hear you. I wish I wish romance short stories were were a bit more common. Yeah. I think someone, the two people who do really good short stories that also have found family themes, Shira Glassman. Yes. And Zan West. Yes, absolutely. They both do really excellent work for like short fiction, especially like erotic romance stuff. Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you want to talk about some like master classes in writing consent or like. AJ Charles. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I could honestly just talk about KJ's book <laughs> because every single book of hers has a found family aspect in it, yes. but in a different way. Like the Society of Gentlemen, they've got their club, they do everything they can to protect each other, and then like Sins of the Cities, they have the queer bar that Phyllis and Greg run, and it's just, ah! Yeah, yeah, no, and I love that. I love seeing the businesses side of things too. Um, Cause, and, and I find this is something that it, when I read an author who shows queer people interacting with other queer people, I'm, I'm, I'm already on board, right? Like, if it, cause sometimes you, you bump into, you can easily bump into the stories where there are only two queer people and they're in a romantic relationship or they're going to be in a romantic relationship. And, and like, they have I, no queer friends, they exist in yeah. a bubble, and yeah. then it's like, but that's not, like, I mean, yes, there are queer people who exist in a vacuum bubble. Yes. But that's not the entire community. Yeah, and I and I find, like, sometimes that vacuum bubble starts to feel unrealistic in the sense that there isn't even, like, if it's contemporary, there isn't even an app or a bar 
or a mention of anything outside. And, and you know, and this is, you know, this is something that always makes me kind of chuckle because where the heck are the lesbians? Like, <laughs> there's always exactly. a bunch of men, but like, hello. <laughs> yeah, anyway. It's, so the, It's always men and they're always cis. And granted, yes, there's always like the horde of cis gay guys who are like, this is our club. Rah. Yeah. Um, but it's not that's not the whole community <laughs> no so yeah I, I i that's one of the things i'm trying to be very conscious about when i write as well as like i i look around at my own queer friend group and i'm like it's it's not just cis queer dudes like it really isn't <laughs> so like, yeah i went to uh i mean they're called all women's colleges really on paper they are anyways <laughs> um, but like the majority of my friend group like over half aren't cis mm-hmm and like we all went to the same school, not not all of us are women, and majority of us are queer. And except then I remember I had that one straight friend, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's another thing that I I don't see explored super often. Um, and it's and I'm gonna be honest, I'm guilty of this as well. In fiction, is I have multiple friend groups, and I'm different. Like the whole code switching thing. Like I do have the group of friends I had that I met in university. And, you know, this will sound so out of character for me, but it, like there, there's, a, there's a frat that I that I very much got involved with and hung out with. And that was not a particularly queer group of people. And I'm still friends with all of those people. But I'm also have my circle of queer friends. And my so it's interesting when you bump into a book that actually touches on that somewhat. I love bumping into that. And actually, you know what? Um, not specifically a queer romance, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, Rebecca Weatherspoon, Cowboy to Remember. There are so many different circles of, of found families going on in that same book that I was just, I was blown away. Like, she has her girlfriend. Just came out from Karina? Or was I it Avon? Think so. I think it, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it's her it's her Sleeping Beauty, her contemporary cowboy Sleeping Beauty, and it's brilliant. Ah. Um, so she uses amnesia. Um, so the, 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 the heroine is asleep, quote unquote, because she doesn't remember anything um including including why she vowed never to speak to this guy again and you know so she's got her friends which are like her agent and her roommate and so she's got these awesome women in her life in new york and she's got her found family the people who raised her because she's 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 an orphan and she's like i just and she's got this like other community that's um from like the cooking because she's this high-paid chef and so it, it was just it was really exceptional and, and rare it felt to me to see these these massive circles where the, there isn't overlap. She's a, she's she's in with these different groups of people, and and they're all taking care of her in the ways that they can. But it didn't bleed altogether. Everybody didn't know each other already. They all had to be introduced to each other. I just I love seeing that happen. In, on, it's it's, it's like allowing a person to be like a a, a character to be like a real full fledged human being. Because yeah. I've got I have two book clubs. I've got my queer book club, and then I've got my review group that I go to, which, well, I can't go to right now anyways, but only maybe three or four people out of the seven of us will discuss queer books, and then not everyone reads queer, and sometimes, like, there was one woman who she didn't really read much queer, because I think her only introduction to it had been, like, J.R. Ward, and she was like, this isn't what mm-hmm. I want, and then I handed her K.J. Charles, and she was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. This this is what I want, and I was like, here, and I just I bring like a whole bag of books every month, and That's I'm just it. like, here, everyone, take a look at all these books. Yeah, <laughs> so I have these circles that don't interact. And that's how life is. Yes. And, and you know, that, that's something I'd love to see explored more in fiction. 
One of the other books or other authors who I really love who explores found family a lot is Cat Sebastian. Tommy, uh, Tommy Cabot was here, right? Yes, yes. Back yes. <laughs> in her Undone, or in the Undone anthology with Adriana Herrera, Ruby Lang. Um, it came out last week, actually. So it's a rarity for um, historical romance in that it's set in 1959 Massachusetts. And we don't get a lot of romances set in that period or stuff that yeah. gets considered historical anyways. Yeah. Um, and it's these two friends who went to a private school and one of them, Tommy, he's the son of like a very rich, affluent, very waspy family who's like, I must do what good sons do. I'm going to marry this lady. And then he doesn't understand why Everett, who he'd been, who he was his roommate and they fooled around a lot. He didn't understand why Everett then cut contact because Everett was in love with him, and he went away to England. And so, turns out, like, it, 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 they end up being reunited at the school where Everett's teaching at, where they went to school, and they create, it's it's the start, it's like a bubble start of a queer community, in that Tommy's wife, or his ex-wife, is very obviously queer, because when she shows up, you meet Harry, who is this very butch lesbian. <laughs> Oh, nice. And I was just like, oh, my God, I love her already. Kat, please give me her story. And she's like, maybe. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then, like, we meet his nephew. We meet Tommy's nephew because Tommy's been, like, excommunicated from the family. And his nephew was like, I heard my parents talking. I wanted to come here to tell you that I'm gay as well. And Tommy's like, that's okay. You can stay with us if you need to. And the, and the nephew's, like, in his 20s, I think. Oh, um, and it was just this cr- – it's – creating of a very macro bubble or micro bubble yeah in a setting where in the 50s it wasn't really a great time to be queer no no absolutely not yeah yeah actually you know what Uh, on that same note i just finished reading a collection of short fiction from jess faraday and she took a side character from a different series and his name is simon pierce it's the end of the 1800s he's like a um detective sergeant or a detective in um, Scotland Yard, and he's closeted, um, obviously. And she did a series of interconnected um, short fiction about him. And it's in the one book, I think you get like, I want to say six or seven stories. And overall, the arc, there is a, a complete sort of happy ever after romantic arc that happens throughout the stories. But each individual story is this lovely little mystery. And part of it is uh, he ends up in in the uh, sort of like small town nowhere of the UK with uh, this woman, she's she's a doctor, but you know she's you can imagine what she faces in the time, um, and her quote friend. And there's this wonderful dance that you see them doing around each other at the beginning, until she's finally just like, oh come on, I know you know, come on. <laughs> and then they have these wonderful dinner parties. And I just yeah, I love thinking about those moments happening all through history. Yes, absolutely. This is uh, her Simon Pierce mysteries, right? Yeah, um, Shadow of Justice. Shadow of Justice? I think that's what it's called. Yes, it's the collection of all four. And that that came out from um, Jean Hale's uh, Blind Eye Books. Yes, yes. Yes, I love Jean Hale. Jean Hale, speaking of Blind Eye Books and Jean Hale, um, there's an excellent article from Tor that she wrote um, called No Longer the Only Gay in the Village, Queer Communities in Speculative <laughs> Fiction, which I thought was an like, incredibly important article. It's like, mostly just like, re- like wrecks of other speculative fiction that some have romance and some don't. But I think 
like we were saying that before with the only two queer people and no other friends it's especially in speculative fiction it's like nope there's 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 your blacksmith over there with his husband there's your healer over there and people existed like that yeah i'm trying to think if there was another um oh contemporary though um Fem Tales uh, and Shade released a book through Bold Strokes, same publisher as me, and it was three novellas. And she took on Sleeping Beauty, uh, Beauty and the Beast, and Cinderella, though not in that order. I got the order wrong there. And spun it around this um, former sort of like rap star woman who rose to the top of her own music label, um, her CEO, and a um, who's the third and a restaurateur that um, she sort of elevated and helped her get her own restaurant. And there's like the wonderful black women, queer community story happening alongside these three stories. And it was just, it was fantastic. Really sizzly too. Um, I should probably maybe, you know, content warning for if people like their, their romances sort of cute and cuddly, these are a lot more sizzly, uh, but uh, but they were great. Um, and I, I, I was lucky enough to do a, a quick Q and A with her um, when they came out, and we had we had a really good discussion about how, you know, again that that found family component or women holding each other up and lifting each other up. I just uh, I love it. I, I have to admit I I've been reading so many more women loving women romances, partly because I have access to so many titles through Bold Strokes, but also because yeah. I find I find they do. They do the queer community better, um, and that's a huge, gross generalization. But like Fiona Riley did a great one recently that was not since you, and it's it's a, a, a former couple who meet again on a cruise ship. One of them is working for the cruise company, and the other one is supposed to be on her honeymoon, but ends up taking it alone because stuff happens. And a, a good third of the story is the woman who works um, on the cruise line interacting with her two gay gay friends, um, the two guys, and really trying hard to get them both to realize that they like each other and that they just <laughs> shut up and talk about it. And, and, and you know, and they're do, they're doing everything they can to help her get set up with this this woman as well. And it was just it was just this lovely interaction of the community, the way that I experience it. Um, like, yes, absolutely. You know, queer women and queer men have these these large groups that that sort of exist by themselves but there's also the crossover and the same way with the trans community like my, my trans friends absolutely have a, a tight-knit trans community but i feel blessed that i'm welcome to be a part of it sometimes um and and that's the the stuff i don't see as often is, is sort of the blending yeah. and thing yeah yeah because a lot of times it's like here's all the dudes and then yeah. maybe your side lesbian couple or maybe you remember that trans people are also a thing and they yeah. get added and it i think romance is getting better about it because I know like lesbic romance that that tends to be its own little corner and then sometimes there's overlap and so on and so forth but I think both sides are getting better at it yeah. but I actually have two of Fiona's books on my bookcase Mismatch and Unlikely Match oh I love those um so Mismatch um wonderful by heroine she's She's literally a matchmaker, and she finds out that her guy is, like, cheating on her, I think, or just leaving her. Either way, her relationship is about to explode, and so she's like, okay, this is going to be some pretty shitty PR for a firm that, like, when my, my whole label is getting the right people together. And so she hires a PR woman, and, of course, the sparks fly. 
Um, and I loved that. Um, and the second one is still involves them a little bit. It's her hire, like being hired to find a match for this super competent, like STEM. I think her name is Shelly. She's this like tech whiz. She's like a, she does um, like user interface and, and, and app design and that sort of stuff. Love this character because she's super brilliant, super competent. And they, she didn't make her this clumsy nerd or anything. She's just like, I, I'm just not necessarily good at finding the right one. And of the two, when the, when the match is made, she's also the one with more sexual experience. And I just, I loved how many little tropes got turned on their head with the tech character. I, it was, anyway, I love them both, but yes, they're, they're, great. they're great. I haven't actually read them yet. But I, <laughs> I, I met her at an author event, so they're actually also both signed. Oh, so nice. I was like, I'm going to buy these books because I need to buy more lesbic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like her. I really, I mean, I love Fiona. Um, I, we actually got to meet at a, a writing retreat and we had a lot of really good conversations about um, bisexual inclusion, especially. Yeah, yeah. That's always really good to hear because we need more bi books in romance. Yes, absolutely. One of the other books that actually recently came out um, that is really good with found family is The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klune. I haven't uh, finished it yet, but I have it. I'm loving it. Uh, <laughs> it's so good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to the audiobook for it. And the narrator does such a great job. Um, he's the same narrator for... Um, the Monster of Ellenhaven, which is another tour book, but that one's more like dark, fucky monsters. So okay. when I was listening to this, I was like, this is the same narrator. And I know there's not going to be fucky monsters in this, but I kind of want fucky monsters. <laughs> I mean, yep. <laughs> um, but I just, I love the, the caseworker and how he, when he went to the island, he was like, oh my, these children, they are fascinating. Oh, you are the actual child of Satan. Yes. <laughs> oh my, you you are turning the house into a, a a horror show. Okay. But you're just having a bad dream. Okay. And like the Pomeranian shifter and then like the <laughs> ectoplasmic goo childs. I, I think the Pomeranian shifter character and the dragon, Theodore, are my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, just- I... It's just so, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, I would say it's upbeat, maybe, is the word I'm looking for. Like, it's just, I, yeah, it's it's just, it's fun. And I, I, it's just I, so much fun. fun, and so, like, granted he's there to, like, do a home check, which is never, like, a fun experience no. for anyone, probably, and who's being in a foster home, but, like, it's just so fun to watch, I can spell cerulean. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, come back here, Goodreads. Linus. Linus? Linus, there we go. Linus. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not Oscar. It's... <laughs> um, Arthur and Linus. Watching Linus. No, I'm getting their names. Linus, yes. Watching Linus go through the thought process of being like, well, this is my job to No, this doesn't need to be my job. These children should be protected. They should stay here. This is their family. And... Do I like Arthur? I think I like Arthur. Do I really? Do I deserve this? And it's just that the whole process that he goes through is just so lovely and so loving. And like the humor throughout it. Like normally with TJ's books, there's very heavy humor and there's not a moment to breathe. Yeah, I, I also, yeah, and I was really pleasantly surprised at how I felt not 
a huge level of angst so far. I like I'm because I wasn't ready for angst, so that's why I kind of nibbled at it. <laughs> not a very angsty book and some of these books are very angsty yes yeah Um, but it just it has the warmth of like the the how is how to books Mm -hmm. and like the humor of that but like toned down a bit so like it's the same vibe and it's got like his magic and stuff going on and it's just i i just he's a really good writer yeah yeah one of the other contemporary series I really like for how it creates a small niche community is the Riven series by Ron Parrish. It's, they're all musicians. And in the first book, Theo's, he thinks he's like found his new family with his bandmates, but the press is like, oh my god, Theo, he's the star. And his bandmates are like, this, no, we're all the stars. And Theo's like, I don't like the spotlight. So he runs away from that and meets another musician who doesn't do music anymore because he had trouble with addiction issues and being in that scene made it hard to stay away from the drugs and the alcohol and that sort of thing and so he's got his sponsor who checks up on him and his other ex-boyfriend friend who also has a husband who's his own level of mess Maddie's (laughs) Maddie's Maddie's a great character for when you're like I really need a deep dive into someone who, he does art therapy for inner oh, nice. city kids, I think, or job prospects for them. And he has his own childhood trauma from being in, like, in an orphanage and stuff like that, and a care home that he hasn't really dealt with. And then like book two is all of them dealing with that trauma, because Maddie also thinks he's haunted by the ghost of Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> It <laughs> <laughs> takes place in Sleepy Hollow, so he's okay. like having these breakdowns and thinks he's think, these, thinks he's being like haunted by this ghost, and his husband's like, "Hun, hun, please just chill. Can we can we work through this, please?" I think book three is Caleb, who's the love interest from book one, and uh, he's a sponsor for drug addicts and alcoholics and AA meetings. So he's thrown his life into being a sponsor for this community. That's his entire life. He's built these rituals. He's sticking with these rituals. He's going to help all these people. But what he doesn't realize is he's created a new problem for himself and that he's not letting himself move beyond these rituals. Oh, nice. So it's, um, I think it's an age gap one with another, with a younger musician who's like, hey, I don't want to do music. I'm going to have my sister do music. Can I bother you, though? I really like you. I'm going to keep pestering you. I'm going to go through <laughs> these things. And so it's like all three books are connected. And it, it was just, it's a lot of fun. Like, they're like they're very heavy angst because Rowan does. Yes. Yeah, with I've, angst, yeah. But they're also, re- they're all really good. Nice. I was actually trying to remember, you asked me at one point, the first queer community or the first queer romance or the first time I saw myself in one and so I actually I I kept racking my brain about it and I think I've got two answers um one wasn't in a queer romance book it was in um a heterosexual romance book but it was queer inclusive and that was a coventry christmas by becky cochran and it was funny because i saw parts of myself in the heroine because she worked at a bookstore and it was retail and she hates christmas and i'm like oh yeah i'm there and then the other part was one of her friends um is uh, is gay and as the story goes on he finds someone too and the fact that she just included that in in this this ongoing story and actually she got some crap from some of the readers because he found a, a happy ever after first 
<laughs> people are like hey <laughs> anyway so that one was my my first sort of where i was like oh look there's just queer people existing and they didn't die because that was a big thing and but the other one the one that blew me um blew my mind and just i was i literally did not finish the book until 2 a.m um it was accidentally shipped to my store it was the wrong book it was called the night we met and it was another book that was supposed to show up instead um by rob burns and when i picked it up i was like huh there's two guys on the cover and they're kind of leaning against each other and it kind of looks like one of those rom-com posters and i'm like that's weird and then i flipped over the to the back and it and it was it was like a, a gay it was it's like it was it called disorganized lovers and organized crime or something like that and i was like wait what such like an old school cover yeah yeah no yeah it's 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 so um yeah you you know what i mean it was one of those kensington covers right so i took it home and it was freaking hysterical it was so funny and it was a gay crime caper romance and it (laughs) It was the best thing ever. And it was the first book I'd ever read with queer characters where their queerness was just part of the story. And the story itself was uplifting and funny and ended happily. And I hadn't realized that that was something that I, that I, you know, I, I think I was aware that like, as if I, if I was reading an urban fantasy story and there was a gay werewolf, I just put it down because I knew the gay werewolf would die. Oh, Oh yeah! Oh my God, that was a huge thing in like the 80s and 90s. Per- urban paranormal. I loved the the contemporary paranormal genre, but everybody seemed to put like a gay werewolf in there to be the best bud of the heroine because it was usually a heroine, and then he would die. It, I mean, like 90% of the time he would die. So it got to the point where when there was introduction of a gay werewolf, I'm like, nope, I'm done. I just put the book down. <laughs> that, it's, that it's so unfortunate, but it's so true. Yeah, yeah, no, and it was it was amazing. So yeah, this this was like this was like this lightning bolt moment. Um, and actually, I don't think I'd be published if it, had, it wasn't for that book because I wrote a review about it. Um, because at the time my company was just shifting online, which tells you when this was, and I was writing this, reviews. This book is. Bit almost 20 years old and it's 1955 on kindle oh wow (laughs) you know what that doesn't surprise me because it's it's kensington kensington paperback is only 11 dollars yeah yeah yeah. 20 dollars for a book that's 17 years old oh that's terrible yeah um yeah, so I I wrote the review and actually this was this was when online reviews were kind of new and interesting and the author actually I sent an email to the author at his his own personal GeoCities webpage. Yeah, and uh, he wrote me back and he was actually the one that got me he I asked him be like, "Well, what else should I read? Do you have other books?" And he, he didn't yet. He was writing another one at the time. And he introduced me to like um the entire group of people that I refer to now as the Saints and Sinners group. Every the publishers and writers who tended to go to um New Orleans for the Saints and Sinners Literary Festival. And I went as a bookseller the next year and that was how I met all the people that ended up giving me an opportunity to write um and get published in the first place. So yeah, it, That's amazing. Yeah, that book was it. So yes. <laughs> so when you were a bookseller, or if you're still, are you still a bookseller, or are you just not there now? Oh, I actually stopped. God, is it four years now? Maybe four years ago now. Yeah. So when you were a bookseller, um, did your store have like queer books in like a specific section, or were they mixed in like with fiction? So I worked in a large chain. So I worked at Indigo, which is the Barnes and Noble of Canada. 
and I worked at the smaller stores. So in in malls, we had stores that were called Kohl's or Smith Books or Prospero, depending on. Oh, so it's like how Walden Books was to Borders and that sort yes, of thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I worked in the mall-sized stores um, for about twenty years. I and miss stores and malls. I loved it. Uh, don't get me wrong. I I, I loved the customers. Um, the the stores were small enough, most of them were small enough that there was no way for me to create a new section, which is a mixed bag. Like there's no there's no good answer to that question about whether we should be separated or whether we should be included because both sides have weight and and I can see the argument either way. But what I could do was play with display space. So especially in Pride Month and stuff like that, I would make sure I had a little Pride display somewhere, which was sometimes a fight. I had a boss who made me take it down at one point. The regional manager came in and pointed out that I might be upsetting people if that was a great fight. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure it's very different now. I walk into Indigo now and all Pride Month long, there's the, the big display table full of full of queer books. And it's just, it's it's so heartwarming to see that now. But I think for the most part, um, the age of the queer section in the bookstores, I, I think that's gone. Um, I, I don't, I can't recall the last time I saw one in one of the chain books, unfortunately, chain bookstores. I remember when I was in high school, um, Borders had a gay erotica section, and that's how I would find books. And I'd be like, oh, this is where they are. So I knew where to go, because YA, this is like 2008, 2010, like there, there wasn't much in YA then. So I was over in manga and anime and being like, okay, here's where the gay is. Here's what I want. And it's just, it's it's so fascinating to me the history of the queer history of books in bookstores. I know it's Glad Day that's in Toronto, right? Yes, yeah. I know yeah. for a very long time that the Canadian border kept seizing their shipments. Yeah, Little Sisters in in Vancouver was it Vancouver, Victoria, and BC anyway. They they ended up leading the battle on that um, to try to stop it from happening. It was unbelievable. Yeah, every oh god, yeah, it was a disaster. Because. Well, I'll, I'll get to the, my first queer book in a second. But for me, I've been researching the queer history of Avon. I don't know if you've seen me yelling about that. Yes, yeah, yeah, and how it just suddenly vanishes in the middle. Like, <laughs> it, like I get to like 1984-85, and then there's like a sputtering of like queer nonfiction stuff they have, and then there's nothing. And it's like, like, like I know they get bought by HarperCollins in 1999. Yeah. But like at the height of the age crisis, and I keep finding these newspaper articles of gay men being like, these are what we need to read right now, but they're our happy stories to know that we'll survive. But then publishing doesn't do anything. <laughs> and yeah. And I know, like, Allison Books and Nyad Press and that sort of thing, they they, they filled that void of, me- of indie books and their yeah. really important job. But I was just like, Avon, you went from having thousands of copies sold of Gordon Merrick and Gaywick and all these things to just dropping the ball and everything yeah i i don't know i wonder if you could yeah in the store or was that like i'm probably dating you right now um no you know what they so we oh gosh so it was actually easier when i first started with the company because we were in charge of our own inventories to a significant degree um, so way back when we had our own store inventory management system, it was literally called Sims, the store inventory management system. Um, <laughs> and we had, we had the big book books in print. And then we had the, oh God, this, okay. You want to talk about dating myself? So every month I would get the, uh, books in print, um, 
slides or whatever they're called, microfiche slides. And I would be able to look stuff up on the microfiche for people if they wanted to order it. Um, so then it was actually quite simple for me to place orders for titles that I wanted to curate for my store because um, it wasn't as it wasn't so incredibly digitally tracked. Um, like, yes, they they knew what I had in the store, but it wasn't this giant database that anyone could go search. So I could curate titles and I, I did. I used to bring in queer stuff as, as, as much as I could. Like, I remember you know, what I, I remember being really frustrated when I first joined the bookstore. I was like, this is the late 90s, I want to say. Yeah, 98, maybe. And realizing how much queer stuff had already been written for young adults, but I'd never been able to find it. Like, th there was stuff already out, but it was never on the bookstore shelf, and it was never in the library. Like, so any being, on my mind. Yeah, yeah, um, Ruby, and yeah, there, there, were, there, were, there were so many more than I knew about. Um, and then once you hit 2000-ish, um, you've got, like, Michael Thomas Ford and, and Larry Duplishan. Like, the, these books existed, but the gatekeepers were incredible. And if you didn't have someone fighting from within, they didn't get anywhere. And especially in libraries where all it took was one parent flipping out. So no one was going to stick their neck out. Right. So, yeah, that 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 was something that was actually easier to do at the beginning. And then it got harder as as book chains realized that they could centralize their warehouses and their processing and their return systems started to be very sort of cutthroat. So um, if a book doesn't sell in a bookstore, you can send it back. And if you send it back at a certain amount of time to the publisher, it kind of counts as a credit in a way. So you don't have to pay the bill as high. Like It's a really weird and archaic and outdated system. So they started being very, very tight control on how much we were bringing into the store that they didn't want us to bring into the store. We, wow. got, these, we got these whole new inventory systems, um, some publishers, and this was... This is still the case, I imagine. So the smaller the publisher, the less likely they are to buy into that return system um, where they can, you know, unsold books can be returned because yeah. that's a huge, yeah. it's a huge deficit. And like, especially come January, February, once Christmas retail season is over, that can just, that could just be a blast to your business that you can't recover from all year, right? So the smaller the press, the less likely they are to do this sort of thing, which means the more marginalized the press the less likely they are to get into the big chain bookstores because the big chain bookstores only want the books that they can return. Yeah. So I, I work yeah. in a used bookstore, so I get a little bit to see like what the return process for like bookazine and the publishers was. So. Yeah. It, and it's, it's its own self-perpetuating problem. Um, so yeah, the more technologically advanced we got and we got systems that could like measure turns. Um, so we used to have to do that all on paper ourselves, figure out which of our sections were selling the best, looking at printed out reports and stuff. Well, it all ended up being very automated. So on the one hand, that was good because romance finally got its due. Like they, we finally, finally could convince people at home office that no, no, we needed more space for romance. Romance is paying the damn bills. Um, <laughs> and that was, that was, oh my God. There was this one store where they didn't have a romance section at all because they were kind of in this business downtown area. And I swear to you, it took me like four years for me to convince them to put damn romance books on the shelves. And it just, it just killed me every day. <laughs> it's like, no, no, we will sell them. Uh, we finally did. It was great. But yeah, like, so it became very math-based, uh, which I understand it's a business and absolutely it has to be a business. Um, but that made it harder to sneak in the gems because you could sneak in the gems, but then you had to prove that you were selling them. Um, yeah, that, that so, makes it a lot harder. Yeah, so your audience had to be like, I, in, I when I got moved to a store in the middle of nowhere, suburbia, in a very suburban mall, I, I kind of lost the battle 
like I could not prove that I could sell enough queer titles um, because it just it wasn't the kind of clientele. So I couldn't have them on the shelf, even for the few queer clients I had. I had to special order, which was painful. When I worked at the used bookstore at my book club at, um, one of the things I wanted, because I was like, well, we have this book club, but we don't have all as many books, is by the time I left there, we had a section. And it was very small, and it was between, I think, historical romance and paranormal romance. So that's where we had space. And now it's between contemporary and some of the nonfiction. But it's a whole bookcase. And I was like, yes. Granted, yeah, they're all flying flat because it's, used bookstores don't get very nice shelves yeah no (laughs) most of them are like lying flat so it's like there could be more but i'm very proud of what i was able to make but back to my first queer book so when i was in the eighth grade i found the book geography club oh wow i can just just try to imagine being in eighth grade and having access oh that's awesome sorry Uh, (laughs) by brett hardinger So, because I really liked geography, and I was like, cool, this is a book about geography. (laughs) Uh, And then I, like, opened it, and I was like, this isn't about geography. (laughs) So I brought it back to my teacher, and I was like, can I trade this for a different book? And she got very concerned for a moment. She was like, well, why are you returning? And I'm like, because it's not about geography. (laughs) 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 What is a book about geography? That's funny. (laughs) She got all concerned, like, because, like, she knew what it was, and I'm sure she was yeah. on purpose, and she wanted to, like, make sure I was okay, and, like, she, like, I think she was, like, had a whole speech prepared, I was like, no, yeah. there, there isn't, it's not geography. Oh, that's brilliant. So, um, so I don't think I, I still have not read it in full to this day, <laughs> and then I think after that, it was probably Cassandra Clare and Holly Black's books, Tithe and the Mortal Instruments series of the head gay characters, and then... Because I was big into fan fiction. Right. It wasn't until I was 16 and I was watching Descendants of Darkness on the Sci-Fi Channel for their Animondays, which is very long ago and far away that Sci-Fi actually had anime on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. And I was like, these these characters like each other a lot. I'm going to go find fanfic about them. And then I like opened this whole door of like, wait a second, there's gay fan fiction. There's right. gay web comics. Holy crap! I, like, I opened up like a whole new can of worms of like reading material. Yeah. So like I would, I then it was like a process of like, okay, where are all the gay things? So I would search <laughs> in the library database, gay men fiction, gay. It was mostly gay men because like my brain at the time was like, no, you're in the closet. We don't want to think about the ladies right now. Right. Yeah. No, only the dudes, only the dudes. And I was like, okay, brain. So I would like search. Anything queer I could find in my library database. So I think there was like a Terry Michaels book at one point, and I think I took out Anne Rice, but never actually read it. <laughs> like they need a Blake books, because like there was one that was like supposedly really gay, and like all the, I took out all these books, but never actually read them because they weren't like the kind of what I was looking for. So I just right. kept going back to fanfic, and it wasn't until I would search on Amazon and I would find things like Mr. Benson. Things that 16-year-olds probably shouldn't be reading. (laughs) Um, But my mother was like, oh, you want these books? Sure. Go, let's go to Barnes & Noble or go to Borders and we'll order them for you. Like, she was very open if I wanted it. She was very confused about why I was reading gay things, but she was like, hi, if you want to read it, go right ahead. Which I was very thankful for, because I'd be like, she's like, why are you reading these gay things? And I'm like, well, why do you read about dead people with murder mysteries? 
Nice. So, like, that was BL manga and yaoi manga. That was my introduction to queer. And it's always fascinating to me, like, how people find themselves and see themselves. And I don't... I'm trying to figure out where the first book was that I found myself in. And I don't know if I... Oh, it wasn't until recently. <laughs> it was... A Duke in Disguise by Cat Sebastian. Ah. Um, how Verity describes being bisexual. And she's like, wait, what do you mean that not everyone's bisexual? <laughs> just my automatic assumption of everyone. <laughs> yeah, I remember, you know, it's funny. The I think, I want to say I was at a CanCon, maybe? Uh, and Tanya Huff, someone had asked her some question about um, the sexuality of characters. And she's like, tell you what, you're just going to assume that all of my characters are bisexual until I tell you otherwise. <laughs> That makes me supremely happy because, like, when because one of the things I do is like I would search when I was because I was getting into sci-fi for the first time like after I graduated college and I was like, okay, where are all the queer sci-fi? Let me go find it. Okay, I've got El- I got Lynn Fuelling, I got Ellen Kushner. Where's everything else? Yeah. <laughs> and then like I found Tanya Huff and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, let me amass this pile of books that I may or may not ever actually read, but I have. <laughs> so it's like I'm. Like a queer book lover. Like, I've got all these gay mysteries from the 70s and the 60s. Because I'm just like, no, these are mine. These are our heritage. <laughs> oh, the David Brandstetters. I, I imagine you've got those. Um, oh, what is it? I think. They're super uh, They're super thin, actually. They're lovely little short thrillers. I've got um, a Joseph Hansen. That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, sorry, the, the mystery. I think David Brandstetter's the character. Um, oh, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, so good. Those are great. Like, one of the things I love, like, about researching the history of the genre is finding all those old queer books and being like, yes, we existed in publishing. Look at us. Yeah. Like I said, so much of it comes down to gatekeeping. And then, you know, actually, that lovely position you're in with your mother, which for so many of us, like, we're not in that position. So, like, you can't even go ask the question for so many kids, right? Like, so... Yeah, I talk about that all the time, and I think that's one of the major sort of purposes of what Pride is for me, anyway, is to remind everybody that there are people you can talk to, um, yeah. and that there, you know history has happened, and you know that we have always been here. It's just we don't have that, un- like unfortunately, we don't have that inheritance of narrative that passes from parent to child the way it does in, in most marginalized communities. And yeah, I I think our fictions are one of the major building blocks we've got to make that happen. Uh, yeah. 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 It's, it's that the fiction is how we survive and how we thrive, and then we get to tell our stories in nonfiction. Because I know queer nonfic is having its heyday right now too with memoirs. Because mm-hmm. like for me, like I did, like I kind of came out to my mom before she died. She was like, "I just want to know what you are, so I can be fine." Like. <laughs> I think I'm bi, I'm pan, I don't know. And then, like, I came out to, like, my brother and stuff like that. And, like, my family's, like, chill. And if they weren't, then, well, fuck them. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, Pride Month. I mean, Pride's all year round. We just happen to have a month because we deserve a month. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But the work, the work happens all year round. I think I think that's it. Yeah, I, I, I would say, like, it. It has to be a protest first. I, I, I have to feel that way. Um, and I don't know that I ever won't feel that way. But equally, I love that it can be a celebration and and also education. I don't know. I guess I'm all over the place. I I, I have very complex feelings about pride, um, especially when, you know, you see like, you know, Toronto Dominion Bank leading the, the parade. You're like, no, 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 no. If someone's going to lead the parade, it, it can't be a giant corporation mega bank. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, at the same time, how amazing that these giant corporations now know that it's 
better to be a part of the parade. Better to be part of the parade because they want our money. I know, and that sucks. But I love the fact that they want our money. Like, at least we're not at that level of what it used to be. We're like, no, no. Like, I don't, do you know the red stamp gay, the gay dollar red stamp campaign? Do you know about that? I've heard about it before. Okay, it was the whole idea, like, of, like, Everything we touch is dirty. It was at the height of the um, AIDS crisis. Um, and literally someone made a red stamp that said gay money. And, and these queer people stamped their money. Um, and so it was like, no, no, this is a gay dollar. And if you want it, you're going to have to listen to us. So now, unfortunately, they listen a little too much to the cis white gay men who have lots of money. But we'll, 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 hopefully we can get that all balanced back again. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I, it, it's weird to have progress also not be progress. And so, yeah, I, Pride, I don't know. I have very complex feelings, like I say. I'm never sure how to feel about, about half the things that happen at Pride. Yeah. Like, I didn't start going to Pride until, until I actually started my book club. Because I was like, I don't, I wasn't, didn't really have a, like, I didn't really be part of the queer community till then. Even though, like, I had my queer friends at college, but, like, the out, the outer world. And I went to, I did Worcester Pride because it was very small and very easy to navigate. And then I made the mistake of going to Boston Pride. Oh, wow. (laughs) It was very hot and there were lots of people and I was like, why did I do this? (laughs) Why did I do this? Like, it's I was meeting my friends there, but it was still just like, oh my god. And, like, I found, like, queer books and authors, and it's always fun at festivals to see authors there and stuff like that. And I, I, for a while, I would go to bookstores and be like, do you have a queer section? What do you mean you don't have a queer section? And now I go to bookstores being like, what do you mean you don't have a romance section? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I. It's funny. I, I had the similar roots of Pride. So I went, my first Pride, I was in university. I think by the time I went to a pride um, and it was Ottawa. So Ottawa's pride is kind of small, which was great and was totally my, my speed. Um, and then I made the mistake of going to a Toronto pride. Um, and oh my God, I couldn't, I had to leave. I have never seen that many people in one space. And on that level, it was amazing. Like there's, it was just this human flood of queer people uh, that it just never ends. And it's so loud and so vibrant and so wonderful. And God, I needed to go home. Like it was just, yeah. But the Ottawa Pride is, is about as large as one I can handle now. I, I, I do enjoy the fact that it sort of has a beginning, a middle and an end, and there's a little fair afterwards. And that's it. We go home. <laughs> Worcester, Worcester is very small compared, I mean, we're the second largest city in New England, but compared to, like, the size of the Providence Parade, it's very small. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things is I work at, a, I work at another bookstore, but it's mostly, like, medical school stuff, and one of my customers, I would, like, chat with her and talk about, like, oh, I do this queer book club, and, oh, Pride's coming up, and she's like, oh, my daughter asked me if she could go to Pride, and I was like, well, take her to the Worcester Pride, because that's smaller, and she was like, okay, thanks, and she, like, told me after they had so much fun, and, like, oh, now nice. she's like, my daughter's on a date with her girlfriend, it's like, that, all these little things, these interactions with customers that are just like, bless, yes, this is, this makes me happy. Yep. Yeah, and like I said, that that is the one thing I miss from the bookstore is the customers. I I, I mean, the last store I was at was very kind of suburb, um, and that was that was a bit of less of a fit. But uh, I God, yeah, even there, I had people who would follow me from store to store, like people I'd known for for twenty years, and it was just yeah, it was the most. I oh, I I do miss that so much. I, I one of the things I wish for with bookstores is there were more queer bookstores. 
like I read an article, I think it was from like 1980 something, that said there were 300 queer bookstores in the United States and yeah. Canada. And now there's like 11. And I was yeah. like, we lost ours a couple of years ago here in Ottawa. We had after Stonewall. Um, and they they I mean, they gave it a valiant try. Um, they turned it into a gallery bookstore. So it had it had art and books. Um, but yeah, it just it, our, our village is kind of fizzling out, which is it, it's painful to watch it happen. Um, yeah. Boston lost its queer bookstore in 2014, I think. Um, and that was it. Like I went to it like right as it was like in the process of like emptying out their shelves and stuff like that. And I was like, I wish oh. I had gotten here sooner. Yeah. Well, I had been able to go to gaze the word. Oh yes. And yeah. that was that was a delight. Yeah. Are there any books that are on um as like a closeout on your TBR right now that are found family that you know of? Oh, that I know of. My t- my, right now, my t- TBR pile is mostly anthologies and collections. So honestly, I don't know, because usually blurbs for anthologies and collections don't drill down as specifically. They just talk about themes. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. That, that's OK. <laughs> obviously, Synarch the Dapper is definitely yes, yeah. my TBR. But I was just like, this sounds fantastic and weird. And now I need to go read about the trans trans chinchilla boy he's so cute that's, that's, that's a mouthful right there yeah. I love the it. fact that he's a cabin boy in a pirate like chinchillas can't get wet right <laughs> <laughs> can they not oh that's right they can't get wet because yeah, they're so, so thick yeah 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 um so yeah and that's a whole plot thing like it's it's great <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic thank you for joining us nathan oh thank uh, you for having me where can we find you on the internet? Um, so if you type in NathanBurgoyne.com, that should redirect you to my blog um, where everything connects from there. That's the easiest way to do it. Absolutely. And uh, what is your handle on Twitter? Uh, my handle on Twitter is also at Nathan Burgoyne. It's really good to have a really weird last name that no one else has. <laughs> <laughs> As always a benefit. You can find Ron Bookpod on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. And you can follow me at queer underscore reader on Twitter, and then you can follow my book club, Rainbow Readers of Massachusetts, on Facebook. Thank you for joining us, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rom Book Pod, Inclusively Yours, a new weekly podcast celebrating inclusive romance, one trope at a time. If you'd like weekly recommendations for inclusive romance, please take a moment to subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at rombookpod. That's R-O-M-B-K-P-O-D. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, happy reading.